Hi, I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior investment advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I'd like to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding what's next during the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of the life situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. Whether you're a business owner trying to keep your company viable, an individual taking care of others, or a frontline worker adjusting to a new normal, or perhaps the recent events have you considering a career change, no matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are. Our guests during this series include a futurist, an economist, a physician, a psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on what's next and how to apply their insight to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com, MoneySense, or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with family and friends. Today, my guest is Dr. Daryl Burnett, and he is a clinical psychologist, a marriage and family therapist, and a certified sports psychologist, especially in youth sports. He has been in private practice in Laguna Niguel for 35 plus years. You may have caught him on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, ESPN, MSNBC, Fox Sports Network, as well as so many other Sports Illustrated and USA Today articles. He is the author of several different books, and I am absolutely delighted to have him on the radio show today. Welcome. Well, thanks, Karen. I really appreciate that. Yeah, those, no. those, I'm going to go ahead. No, I, no, finish up. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say those appearances that you mentioned, they go back a little bit, about maybe about eight years, but no, they were good. They were fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've been in practice 35 years, and That's that right. is a long time. You've been through many different situations and crises that have been in the world, and I happen to come across a little statement and it said emotions are the filters through which we see the facts and I'm wondering you know and for me I always think of all the news and everything's out there that it's it's like trying to take a drink out of a fire hose it just comes out so fast and so furious <laughs> that you can't no, get your, you can't get your arms around anything and so That's the right. whole purpose of this show is I feel that I've got a whole hour that we can sit down and talk about these issues where people can hear them, then they can sit back and they can integrate them into our lives. So that what do you sense. see going on? What do you see going on? Well, I tell you what, that statement about the emotions being the filter of what we see, is just really important. And uh, I th so what I'm seeing going on right now is something that's been going on for a while, which is the stress and anxiety from what we're all under. As a psychologist, I've been dealing with people who have panic attacks and anxiety for years. But now it's to the forefront because everybody is experiencing these things. And what's really important, Karen, in my opinion, is to be able to step back and be an observer 
of your anxiety rather than a participant in it. And that takes some work, but it can be done. And I think the first thing we have to understand is, what's it all about? Where's this anxiety coming? What is going on here? I remember years ago, I was dealing with a guy who was a salesman, very good, and in Southern California, and he had to do a lot of traveling on the car. And uh, he got in his car one day, and he had a panic attack. And he just, oh, my God, what is going on here? I've got to drive to Bakersfield from here in L.A. I can't, I, this can't be. And he just getting really wound up about it. Finally, I was able to see him, and I said, the worst thing you can do is panic at having a panic attack because that keeps it going. <laughs> but most people, when they have it, they think there's something wrong with them. What am I, nuts? Am I crazy? And, and the, I pointed out to them and to him, this is a natural reaction. This, ha- this is the way your brain is set up. The good news is it's not going to go forever and you can change it over time. So I think maybe I'd like to spend a few minutes just so, and I don't want to talk down to anybody, just so we all understand where this anxiety is coming from, what these stress feelings that we're having is coming from. And, and if you take a look at it, the stress, the reactions that we're all having are in the primal part of the brain. I mean, this is the amygdala. This goes back to the caveman days, and it's all about survival. Caveman gets up, he walks out to the uh, edge of the cave, and he sees a saber-toothed tiger ready to pounce on. Oh, my God, there's a saber-toothed tiger. Now, that's relayed then to that primal part of the brain, the amygdala, about the size of a walnut. It's strictly in terms of survival, and now it says, okay, all hands on deck. We've got a problem. It's survival time. So that's that what we all learn in school about the fight or flight syndrome that we all get. You know, you, you're faced with something. You're either going to stay and fight it or you're going to run away from it. But what happens in stress is the minute that that part of the brain senses there's a saber-toothed tiger out there, then it's all hands on deck. Okay, if we're going to fight or we're going to run, we need oxygen. First thing we need is to get some more oxygen. Oxygen's in the blood. Let's get that blood pumping. So now your heart starts beating faster when you're under stress. Because the brain's thinking, we're going to fight or run. We need more oxygen. Give me some more blood. So it pumps faster. Our breathing changes. We're taking breaths in because we think we're going to need more oxygen. Our our muscles get tight in our stomach and our arms, all because we're getting ready to be vigilant and watch out. All those things are happening simply because we've told the brain there's a saber-toothed tiger out there. That was the the caveman days. There aren't any more saber-toothed tigers. They're extinct. You know, Dr. Burnett, just as a really quick example of that, and I think I mentioned it to you that I was at the grocery store stop shopping, and I was really not being all that observant. I was kind of getting in and getting out, and all of a sudden, this woman screamed at me, can't you read? You're going the wrong direction. There were arrows, you know, and I stopped, and I turned my little cart around, and I went down and came up the other way, but what happened was, when I was coming up the other way, another young man was walking down. And I almost wanted to scream at him and say, can't you read? You're going the wrong way. <laughs> and I realized that I had picked up her emotion. Exactly I right. stopped myself and I didn't say a word to him. But I picked up her energy and her fear. And the thing is, you can't beat yourself up about it. It's going to happen. It really is going to happen. There aren't any more saber-toothed tigers, but we make our own. So right, right now, what, what could be more of a saber-toothed tiger than this whole virus that we've got going on because it's so unsettling and who knows? So what happens now is we're going around experiencing this thing, and each day that we're getting emotional about it, that just keeps the loop going in the brain because the brain thinks, well, that tiger must still be out there. So all <laughs> the anxiety and all the stress response starts. 
So the only way it's ever going to stop is if we break the chain. And that's much easier, easily said, but not done. It's, it's a, it's a task. However, it can be done. That's why when I did that broadcast a little while back for Little League, I mentioned the word, the key with anxiety and getting through stuff is to think process instead of end product. You know, we're very end product or when's going to get over? When we're going back to school? When can we open up the stores? When this, this, this process is thinking, okay, how are we doing? How are we doing? And so you got to start thinking, what can I do to start to become an observer of my anxiety rather than a participant in it? What can I do to kind of, kind of get that emotional reaction under key, under, under control? Let's see if I can have a reaction not quite as emotional. And so your, your people are probably listening saying, my goodness, this guy's so naive. Huh? What do you expect us to do? Just stop? No. The deal is you do little bits at a time. It's like when I'm dealing with little kids learning skills, like in baseball or something. You can measure a new skill in terms of frequency, duration, intensity. Something's happening more often. It's lasting longer. It's a little more intense. you got more energy with it. All those are ways of measuring how we do. So if you want to kind of cut into that emotional thing, see if you can start decreasing the amount of emotional reactions that you have, decreasing the time it lasts, decreasing the energy you put into it, much like you did in the store. You caught yourself. You didn't carry on with the emotional reaction as the other person did. That's the beginning. That's what you want to try to do. It's not easy, but if you look at it as a process, you can start observing everything you're doing and making some changes. You know, Dr. Brunel, it's really hard, though. You, I remember another story. My girlfriend was in Target or somewhere, and they had a big pile of toilet paper there, and they said one package per person. Right. And she grabbed her package, and she got home, and she, what did I buy this for? I've got more than enough toilet paper. This whole, you know, it's, it's the world out there that is dumping all this anxiety and it's so easy to get caught up on it. You know, you see two women fighting over toilet paper. I mean, boxing each other out. But see, the way the brain works, if people are watching the media, as we do, and the, the constant message of media is catastrophic, they're not talking about pleasant days. They're talking about things that are happening. My guest today is Dr. Daryl Burnett, and he is a clinical psychologist with marriage and family therapy, and he's also a certified sports psychologist. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have some more interesting facts to talk about children, particularly adults. Um, I have read, and I think we've always been told it takes six weeks or so to change a habit. Well, boy, we've been out of the out of the offices. We've been, you know, kids have been out of school. They aren't doing little league. Um, Wendy's been talking to us and saying, oh, my God, I'm usually sitting, freezing my butt off <laughs> Little League games now. And so she's torn between should she be happy or sad. <laughs> so we've got lots of good stuff coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Dr. Daryl Burnett, and as I said earlier, he is a psychologist. He works with marriage, family, and also what's really exciting is he's a certified sports psychologist and works with children with Little League, has in the past, and also special needs children, which is really, um, which must be really interesting to be able to work with all those emotions as well, both with families and with children. And 
we're certainly in a difficult time now. And I think maybe some of it has settled down a little bit, but the whole idea of kids working at um, doing school at home and on computers, so many kids are used to being so active, being outside playing sports and going here and there. And of course, now we're dealing with, well, what, what's going to happen to kids this summer? What will camps look like? And so I think the emotional impact on children, on families, on parents, um, even grandparents. So for example, I can't see my grandkids and most of my friends can't see their grandkids. So Dr. Bruno, what, what does that look like now and what is it? What do you think it's going to look like going forward? That's right. By the way, speaking of grandkids, I'm going to have a drive-by birthday party in two days for my. He's going to be seven. Uh, you know, it's frustrating. You can't get the touch him. You'd love to hug him, but you can't. So we'll just kind of drive by. He'll be standing in his garage, you know, looking out while people drive by and sing happy birthday to him and drop off some things. But that's tough for a kid. They're used to the whole other scene, you know. Although I must mention the, the toddlers, the little kids, they're kind of loving all this. They got mom and dad 24-7 now. That's right. They, they, they don't have to compete now. They're there. So that part's you, not so you, bad. But you've it's got still, all these kids that work so all these kids that work so hard and they're graduating yeah. and they're missing their graduations, yeah. proms. Yeah. What's the impact going to be? Well, it's very strong. A lot of it, though, with kids is how we react. If we make a tragedy out of it, then there's a good sense that they're going to perceive it that way. If we somehow communicate and not minimize their disappointment and all that kind of stuff, but see it as an opportunity for them to kind of move on to the next thing, that'll be a little bit helpful. I have a a granddaughter who's in the eighth grade, and she's a, a soccer player as well. I mean, a volleyball player as well. And so all of her tournaments got canceled. Her eighth grade graduation ceremony got, you know, uh, canceled. Yeah. That's very frustrating for them. It's not easy for the kids to deal with. There has been a lot of loss. The teenagers, for example, are so used to social things and to social isol- isolate them socially and then think that a virtual social group that they form with one of the kids, that's not the same. There's a whole different scene going on in the hallways of a high school compared to your virtual, you know, social group. It's just not the same. And so it's very frustrating and it's a loss and we can expect sadness. We can expect irritability. We can expect all the things that come with being angry. We can get some worrying going on. All these things are natural for these kids to expose them to be experienced. What we have to do is work with them on, you know what? It doesn't have to stay this way. You're experiencing very real things. It's not going to be this way forever. Let's start practicing now so we can get out of the habit of automatically falling into sadness and irritability, and confusion and all that kind of stuff. And so you start working with them bit by bit. These, you know, I look at um, the impact on, on children working at home and how is it going to integrate going back to school and getting them to sit at the desk and getting them well, you're right. to study? Well, it's like what they had to learn. Uh, I, I see kids both homeschool and in regular school, the homeschool kids didn't have it as bad because they're used to kind of organizing and doing some studying within the house setting. These kids that have been in school have been spoon fed. You walk in, you go class to class to class or wherever you are, it's all structured. And now you're expected to come home and yeah, they used to do homework, but it's not the same thing as getting online and doing things. It can be frustrating. 
I had one family where the parents were very upset because the school district, uh, <laughs> they sent the kids home, they closed the campus, and they sent online exercises, you know. But they sent it with a message of, these are just recommendations. Whatever you do on here will not have any effect on your grade. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell that to a kid. Now that kid's going to sit there and study? I don't think so. So they were upset. But <laughs> so that was not a good message. But then eventually they changed it. But, but the thing is, it's just a new setting. And the adaptation getting back, it's going to be a while. A local university, Cal State Fullerton here, has said that their fall courses are going to start online. They're not going to be on campus. So eventually they'll weasel them back into the, into the campus. But it's, a, it's going to be a new scene. If, again, we see it as a process, though, bit by bit, we'll be able to take care of it. And that's where the important thing is for us as parents not to get too, too emotional as we anticipate this. Because if we come across as worried and afraid and upset, that automatically, that's what the kids pick up. There's a saying that uh, kids are our mirrors. Whatever we do, they see it. And so just be careful about overreacting and over in front of the kids. I mean, you don't want to minimize, but it's not the same thing. If they, if they think you think it's not going to work, then they'll think it that way too. Well, you know, the other thing that I see is there's so much information on the TV about job loss. And think of all of these parents who have lost their jobs and their home, and they're worried about how they're going to make ends meet. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to hand, hide that type of anxiety that's very it's, real. It's very, very real. Finances become a big issue, and you can't hide from it. All you can do is hopefully they can work on a situation where they're eventually going to come back. Now, sometimes you're not going to return to the state that you were in. Things are going to be different. But as long as there's that, uh, oh, my goodness, what, will I ever get another job? Will my pay be the same? What will I do? The danger there is that's all what if questions and that's where the anxiety starts back again. You don't have an answer for that. There is no answer for that. So the, the only way to survive something like that is to catch yourself. Look, uh, I can't solve this right now. I have to do something to build my own strength. I can't just be preoccupied with whether or not I've got a job. Although it's very real. You can't, oh, well, let's just play a game. No big deal. No, it's very big deal. And hopefully now as we begin to start to re-enter, if looks like some of the states are starting to do that. If there's some sign of return, people might get a little more optimistic. You know, I, I talked to a friend the other day, and she was telling me that one of her grandchildren isn't sleeping at night, and one of the other grandchildren started wetting the bed from a different family, and some of those different anxieties that are happening. How can people frame their conversations, or what are some of the things that they can do I, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is happening to the whole world. It's not happening just to their household, yeah, but it's the happening is, to everyone. Again, we're back to that's, I can't say it's supposed to happen, but it's a natural reaction when you're in all of this stress and worry. And kids don't have a whole lot of uh, you know tools to, to deal with all of this. We have a lot of tools, if you want, as adults to kind of look at. A kid just experiences something and, their whole world has only been like 10 years or something like that. It's very difficult for them to see the big picture. So, yeah, you you will have those moments of bedwetting and things. But, again, if it comes across as if the kids, oh, my God, what's wrong with them? Am I crazy? Am I nuts? What's going on? Then that that's going to compound it. It somehow has to be, you know, these things happen. 
okay, let's take a look at what you're doing. Instead of a judgmental, I can't believe you did this, you say, okay, you went to bed, let's get the sheets fixed. Okay, that's one day you've had four where you didn't. So, hey, that's progress, you know, that kind of stuff. So that they don't automatically think, oh, there's something wrong. It's like in sports, if a kid strikes out and makes, everybody makes a big deal about that. Now the kids, every time he goes up to bat, all he's thinking of is, I hope I don't strike out. Versus, hey, you had a good at bat, you made some contact there, that's good. He's got a better shot when he goes back. So the more normal we can make things look to kids, the better. We're going to take a, a quick break, um, Dr. Burnett. And when we get back, one of the things that I sort of experience, I think at least in, in the beginning, I'm, I'm one of these people that the glasses always half full rather than empty. But I know that there were periods of time in there as I'm listening to the news and, and even listening to some other people around me, that I almost started to feel helpless. And I didn't know how much of what I was hearing was real, how much of it wasn't. And, um, and now with all this happening, when we start to go out into the community as it's starting to rebuild or reopen, we're going to see a lot of shops and a lot of things that are going to go out of business, a lot of sort of that feeling of helplessness again. What can they do to, to offset that? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I am hosting a series on what our new normal is going to look like when the virus is over and done with. And it's kind of like, um, what's, what's going to be next? And so this is the third show in the series. If you've missed the other two, you can go to ellenbecker.com to catch that one. And I'm going to be doing them, I think, straight out through the summer. We're going to be doing them every Saturday and every single Sunday. My guest today is Dr. Daryl Burnett, and he is a psychologist. He deals with families and marriage counseling and, and children. And so I asked him to come on today to talk to us because I know that even myself just experiencing the anxiety sometimes that I don't even know is coming up within me just by witnessing things around me. And Dr. Um, Dr. Burnett, I know that there's going to be some closed up stores and there's going to be restaurants that are familiar with that families that have gone out of business. There's going to be a lot of things that is going to make our, our normal really feel uncomfortable. And I'm wondering when that happens, when things start to settle down and we realize the changes that have to be made, how will people start to deal with that type of loss? Well, remember we said earlier that anxiety is based upon the emotional reaction to something. All these things are going to be different, and it's our interpretation and how we perceive it. If we perceive that store, our favorite store that went bankrupt, if we perceive that as you know, saber-tooth tiger, oh, my God, then all the anxiety is going to come back. So we have to start to catch ourselves. It's a natural reaction. You're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be very upset. I can't believe that this happened. There has to come a point at which you step back and say, what am I doing to myself here? I'm not going to get help my anxiety by being preoccupied with the catastrophic nature of what's going on. It happened. It's unfortunate. It's very disappointing. It's going to take a while to come back but I have to get over this sense of doom and gloom. When I deal with people that have a kind of depression and it turns into pessimism, uh, there was a, a man called Seligman, psychologist who wrote a book called Learned Optimism. 
And his point was when people get really sad and get depressed, there's the what they call the three P's of depression. The first P is permanence. In other words, you start to see some negative thing and think, well, this will never change. This is just the way it's going to be the rest of my life. And then that just kind of builds and builds and builds. The second P is pervasive. It's not just this one incident. It's not just this one store closing. It's the fact that they canceled the the Cooperstown tournament that my kid was going to go to. And all of a sudden, all your pessimism is across the board. Everything is seen as negative. And then the third is personal. Why me? Why is this happening to our country? To me, we're good people. Those kinds of thoughts. So that's the what, that's what you're up against. When you go back and you start to, right now it's on the abstract. It's talking about things. Once you get back out there and you physically experience all these different things, that's what's going to hit you and it's going to take more of an effort. Again, don't be surprised if you have the feelings. Don't beat yourself up if you have those feelings. But the goal is, I can't just stay on this. I've got to do something to break this chain. The only way to break the chain, and we'll probably talk about that in our last section, is to kind of do the opposite of what I'm experiencing now. Maybe work on some learned optimism. So if some good thing happens, I can see that as permanent. And if you know something happens, this happened, a good thing here, well, there's other good things happening, thinking that way. I know that it's going to be a have a major impact on businesses and employees going forward as businesses are going to hope to get back to things the way they were to the best that they can. But it's going to be, I think, a very slow process. We even look at our company and we're bringing teams back. We're going to open up May 1st. We're bringing teams back slowly and making sure that we are very responsible, um, socially responsible, mutually responsible for each other not to get sick. And and of course, for our vendors and for our clients. And But our, our employees have been working at home all this time. They've been with their kids. They've been able to get the work done. You know, I get emails at two o'clock in the morning or at midnight or 10 o'clock. And so people have been able to function around their own life. What is that impact gonna be on business and how will business owners such as myself view that and not be frustrated and also the employee not being frustrated at this new turn of events. Well, I guess it's back down to think about process instead of, well, by October, everything will be fine. It's like, well, let's see what 2020 brings. Let's see what's, what it's like in January of 2000, you know, 2021, or maybe even thinking in terms of before 2020, you know, we even talk about the, the Tokyo Olympics. They're all jumping ahead to, you know, 2021 now, uh, to think in terms of process, that's what you have to do. And and I hate to sound like a broken record, but the only thing you can do is try to break that chain because it's only natural to have those feelings as long as you're perceiving it as, oh my goodness, will this ever change? There's, There's this tendency to think, what if? You know, the more intelligent someone is, by the way, they use that you're always using what if to try to solve problems. What if I do? What if I combine these things? That's that's good academically, but in the emotional world, if you start thinking what if about what if this never changes? What if I have to fire half my people? What if we, all the what if future things? Uh, that's where the anxiety will get worse. If you're only if you're going to break it, you try to have a moment of presence every once in a while, just so you're doing something other than what if, what if, what if, what if, and that's not easy to do. 
No, it's not. I'm trying to figure out what's my next move for hugging. I so miss <laughs> hugging people. I hug, hug, hug. And I'm not right. able to hug anybody in six weeks. It's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. What is that going to look like? And this whole That's touch, right. you know? Yeah, I, I just was seeing a family that the grandma was very upset that she was not going to be able to hug her grandchild. And they tried to explain to her, well, we can't right now. You know, and she's just, it's very tough because she dismisses that so much. And, uh, but that's just the reality. <laughs> I know. Although, you know, everybody has different interpretations. Sometimes you'll see demonstrators out now without masks <laughs> and not following social distance. So everybody's going to do those things. In general, the, the re-entry into the real world is going to require on our part that we're just able to look at the, the all the what's going on as data. Remember you said that the emotions are the filter of the data? If we view the data emotionally, it's going to be very difficult. If we view the data as factual, okay, I was just reading something in the paper today about Neiman Marcus, which is one of the... Um, stores out here, high-end, maybe faced with bankruptcy, okay? Oh, my goodness. On the other hand, you say, wow, that's interesting. Look what happened as a result of this thing that happened. Who would have ever anticipated that? You know, you can be disappointed and and all that, but the minute you turn it into, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do about it? That's when the anxiety is going to raise in everybody. I do want to, um, we've only got a few minutes here. I do want to acknowledge how hard it has been for individuals within our community, within our families who have struggled with depression, who have struggled with anxiety, addiction, um, and losing all those social programs, um, AA, all the different things, being able to see their counselors, being able to go to those support groups. I just want to acknowledge how difficult that must be for something like that to be gone well the, the danger other people have is they take for granted all the stuff they've got these people have been deprived of certain things that are their lifeline you know and that yeah. lifeline was getting them through and suddenly they're without that on the other hand i've seen some clients that have been strengthened by it because they've had to pull in and, and use their best resources that they could uh there's a lot of virtual meetings that go on, things like that. It's not the same. It's not the same, but at least it's something that they try. But you're right. They're a very high-risk crowd. It's very difficult for them. And the fact that they keep going is good. And there are, if they, people go online and they're looking, there are so many agencies out there ask, you know, offering different types of services. So it's a matter of reaching out, which is often, right. often very difficult because people become paralyzed. And I think that's the one thing that I'm hoping here today, that we don't have to feel paralyzed and we don't have to feel helpless. Um, no. There's so many different ways of looking at it. And I know we're going to take a, a quick break right now. My guest is Dr. Daryl Burnett, and he is a clinical psychologist. He works with um, families and children, and he's been doing this for over 35 years and has been on TV and has written books and articles on all of these different subjects at one time or another, even though we're going through this crazy world pandemic, many of these topics come up on smaller scales um, in families. So even though um, it feels like this is, all, is happening to all of us, and it certainly is, there are ways and different ways that you can look at it. We're going to take our last, um, last break and our last segment just to talk about things that you can do to limit some of the anxiety and to see that glass halfway full. And with that, we'll be right back. 
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Dr. Daryl Burnett. And if you would like to go to his website, you can go to www.djburnett.com. And uh, he's got lots of good information there. And I guess the one thing I would say, Dr. Burnett, is what are the tools that people can use to transition from where we are today and, and move forward? Okay. What you need to think of is, like we said at the beginning, you want to try to become an observer of your anxiety rather than a participant in it. Step back and see what's going on. And to do that, you have to understand, as we said, the nature of stress. Uh, when you're stressed out, you have two choices. One, you remove the stressor. We cannot remove the coronavirus. It'd be nice, but we can't. <laughs> so what you have to do then is change your reaction to the stressor so it's no longer a saber-toothed tiger. So the first thing you do to try to change the reaction is on the physical end. You know, when you're, when you're nervous and you're uh, anxious and stressed, uh, you're not relaxed. Okay? There's a tightness in your muscles, et cetera, and the heart's beating faster. The opposite of being stressed is being relaxed. And there's a lot of talk today about relaxation and things like that, mindfulness. All those things help you relax your muscles. And you say, well, that sounds naive. No, but on the other hand, if you start to practice that, then you can – as you feel, feel your muscles tightening and your heart beating, you counter that practicing some relaxation exercise. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's a process. But as we said before, you start measuring everything in terms of frequency, duration, and intensity. Frequency, I'm relaxing more often. In, uh, duration, I, I actually have practiced the relaxation for five minutes. Or intensity, I'm getting better at it. That way of measurement. So, so relaxation is one physical thing. The other thing you do is exercise. Exercise really helps with the oxygen flow and, and everything else in your brain. So the more exercise you do, the better it is for depression, stress, whatever. I remember when I was doing a postdoctoral fellowship at UCLA at the Neuropsychiatric Institute many, many years ago. People would come in stressed uh, and depressed, and we would take some blood, and they would measure the serotonin in their blood. Then they would have them do some physical exercise. And after they finished, they would redo it. And lo and behold, there's a different, there's a change in the, the emotional parts of our body through exercise. So that's another thing you do. Then the last thing you do has to do with what we call self-talk. You start to change that typical self-talk we have now when we're anxious. Oh, this is closed. That's closed. I can't believe this is going on. What's happening? All the depression, all the pessimism, all of our thinking. You start to change that with a more positive note one at a time. Start to catch yourself. So here's some things that a lot of things that, that they suggest you do. Rather than being preoccupied with future what-if thinking, you start getting preoccupied with being present in the moment as much as you can. Again, it's not easy because we're automatically going to get into what-if. But you start practicing. So starting being in the moment, there's, there's a, a movement today called mindfulness. And all mindfulness is, it's an awareness of your what you're thinking and feeling and experiencing right at this moment. So mindfulness gets you to think about something other than what's going on outside or what the future is going to hold. And you can practice things like that, even with kids. You can get them to practice being aware of certain things. You can go on little walks with the kids because you're allowed to take some walks. And as you walk, 
have them notice what's going on. You know, like when you're in a car and you're playing the I Spy with My Little Eye and everybody's pointing out something. Well, you get the kid while they're walking. Tell me something that you see, something that you can feel different, something that smells different, so that they're thinking right then, right there. Uh, breathing exercises we can all practice, and you can actually feel yourself breathing, feeling all of that. So be present. Get the kids uh, to be like a mindful eating exercise. Okay, guys, we're going to sit eat. I want you to tell me what it, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it smells like, you know, all those kinds of things so they're very much in the present, and you can do that same thing. Here's another thing to get into the present. Try some laughter, some fun times. And people say, I can't be laughing when there's all this tragedy outside. Well, yeah, you can. You can say, take a moment, watch some funny movies, read some funny things, tell jokes, because laughter is wonderful for breaking down that system, and it helps the immune system. It improves the oxygen, the muscles, it gives calories, burns calories, all kinds of good stuff. So laughter is really good. Another thing that's interesting is gratitude. Being grateful for something, you know how like at Thanksgiving, here's what I'm thankful for. Well, everybody spend a little, what are you grateful for? Well, there are some good things that happened while we were together here. We got to spend more time together. I was able to contact people that I hadn't seen for a while, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things. The more you do that, the more you're replacing the future and what if with present thinking, what's going on right now. In basic, what you want to do is replace your stress response with calm responses. You want to replace the negative thinking and the negative talk with positive thinking and positive talk. And again, I'm not being naive. You don't say, oh boy, the news on the day was four more deaths. Let's talk about something funny. That's not what I'm talking about. But catch yourself and make sure that you do try to break that chain to enhance your your immune system. It really is true. The more calm you are, the more positive you are, things happen in your body. They did a measurement on all, A-W-E. They took people to Grand Canyon. They were observing it for the first time. They measured what was going on inside their body. Good things go on in the body that help the immune system when you have those kinds of feelings. Oh, they do. I love your idea of the gratefulness. And I know one of the things that my daughter Julia has done for years is they go around the table at dinner and they yeah. talk about something that day that they're grateful for. And the That's things right. that you, you know, that you might not, or paying it forward. Um, you know, helping somebody is always another one. Another thing that's been happening around here is someone started painting rock with all wonderful little positive um, little sayings on them or just a really pretty sunshine or pictures. And all of a sudden, everybody now is picking them up and moving them. And you never know. And so you can get your kids to paint these wonderful little rocks, walk around the neighborhood. Um, I've been having coffee dates with my friends. I've also have to admit, I've been having wine dates with Smart. my friends and sitting <laughs> down and, 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 you know, and talking about some of the things in the past, some of the trips oh, we've yeah. been on and the fun that we've had. And I, one of my girlfriends said, I'm, I'm just so depressed. Every night I go to bed and I'm listening to that news. And I said, turn uh, it off. No. Yeah, and that's what you really have to do. You got to, there's a difference between facts versus the media hype. You need to know the facts, but you know, it's going to be, exaggerated and you've heard it once you don't need to hear it five times you know there's a great app out there it's called <clears throat> calm c-a-l-m and all you do is download it on any smartphone or tablet or it's soothing music guiding meditations and bedtime stories the goal it's, is it's to help wonderful you it gives you little opportunities i've yeah. seen 
It helps you sleep better, boosts your confidence, reduces stress and anxiety. And you can turn that on for your kids to listen to a bedtime story in this wonderful, smoothing, you know, soothing voice. Yep, yep. You can walk around your house, and if you have the uh, Alexa, you know, you say, Alexa, play some spa music, and all of a sudden it's calm, relaxing. (laughs) There's things you can do. And, you know, I practice something. I have Alexis, and my girlfriend said to me, you know, I'm always, you know, giving it orders. And and I heard her at her house one day, and she goes, thank you, Alexis. And I thought, (laughs) just that alone. She said, I always say, thank you, Alexis. And you know what? I heard her say that, and it it was just beautiful. It was just a beautiful thing. Just by saying, thank you, Alexis. That's right. And the more we think in terms of being positive, the better. Uh, there's there's a thing in, in the healthy families, there's supposed to be a four to one ratio of positives to negatives. So for everyone knocked down, drag out, there's four out of girls, out of boys. Same thing with couples. I mean, this guy did it on, on marriages and couples. <clears throat> the only variable that was a good predictor was this ratio of positives to negatives. There's supposed to be a heck of a lot more positive. So it's, it's catching yourself. You know, this, this 24-7 in with everybody can get nerve wracking at times. But there is times when you can kind of pause and make sure you have some positive remarks to say to people uh, if it, instead of the same old negative things. It doesn't have to be phony. You know, it can be very real. But that's really important. And, and when people are in the middle of this social isolation, they're not getting very much positives across the board. So we need to do that with our family. In fact, one of the big things about resilience with kids, the big determinant to help them become resilient is the structure and support of the family. So if that family is strong as we're coming out of this stuff, that gives the kids a little more strength. If we're all worried and preoccupied with, oh my goodness, what's going to happen, then that's carried on to the kids. Just just keep saying to yourself, I've got to break this chain of being preoccupied with gloom and doom. And what if, oh my goodness, it's a natural reaction. You're not going to stop it. And anytime you can just plug in a positive, you can plug in something to do right now that has nothing to do with all of that, the better. Remember the old family dinners. I mean, I grew up in a family where we had dinner together every night and Sunday afternoon was the big dinner. And I was talking to my daughter, Julie, the other day, and she said they made a decision to have a, a really nice Sunday dinner together and they all got dressed up. Yeah, there you they go. They all got dressed up and sat down at the table and... She said it was just wonderful and bringing back and talking about how she grew up and how we always had to have dinner together. And my dad used to whistle for us to come in the door <laughs> at night. And, you know, it's a time to start telling stories. Of course. That, that is the good thing, I think, that bringing people together. My guest today is Dr. Daryl Burnett. And if you would like to go to his website, you can go to www.djburnett.com. And uh, he's got lots of good information there. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691-3200 691-3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.